Hello everyone, I'm Carrie, pelvic physiotherapist and owner of A Body in Motion Rehab. And I want to welcome you to Tales from the Floor. You are about to embark on an eye-opening journey with myself and my pelvic team as we introduce you to your pelvic floor and the floors that we visit on a regular basis. We are going to take all those difficult to discuss topics and with an upbeat and raw truth, we're going to leave you feeling empowered, educated, and ready to tell your own pelvic tales. This podcast is for everyone, all genders, all ages, all stages. No more whispering. It's time to talk Tales from the Floor. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tales from the Floor. I'm Carrie, pelvic physiotherapist and proud owner of A Body in Motion Rehab. And I have brought my incredible team of pelvic physios together tonight to talk about tales from the male floor. So tonight we're going to that male floor. You've heard, you've heard us talk about males throughout our podcast, but we're going to focus all of our detail on the male pelvic floor tonight because yes, it's true. Males have pelvic floors too. And although the world of male pelvic physio is light years behind females, and you've probably noticed that in social media and uh, in the internet, still a really, really important thing to discuss because, well, like we said, they've got the floors too. So um, if you think that females have trouble discussing their pelvic floors, you can well imagine what it's like for a male to discuss his pelvic floor. But we are catching up. We're encouraging men to find their voice. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk a lot about um, males, their pelvic floors, and bring men's health to the forefront this evening. So I would like to introduce you to my team. Hi, everyone. I'm Laura. I'm a pelvic health physiotherapist, and I'm very happy to be here tonight. Hi, everyone. I'm Nadia, and I'm happy to be here for episode five. Hi, everyone. I'm Melissa, also a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and I'm excited to chat about the not-so-talked-about male pelvic floor. I love it, Melissa. I'm I'm super excited about tonight. I definitely have a passion in treating males, and I'm really, really excited to talk about something that I feel like just doesn't get enough airtime. So uh, this is why I just that we need to dedicate a whole episode to this. So thanks for being here, ladies. And uh, yeah, let's chat about the male pelvic floor. I thought a great place to start off tonight would be to talk about male pelvic pain. Um, You know, let's break it down into the different types of male pelvic pain, what males can experience, and what we can do to help them feel better. Okay, so I'm <laughs> um, very excited to be here to talk about male pelvic pain I th- and male pelvic floors. I think as Carrie mentioned, this is something that just isn't talked about enough. And I think, um, especially with the males that I see, I think a lot of them come feeling very, very alone and very confused about where their pain is coming from. A lot of clients I see will have testicular pain, rectal pain, or perineal pain, or sometimes they've been diagnosed with things like chronic prostatitis, which is a recurrent um, supposed bacterial infection of the prostate. But really, sometimes all of those things can actually be coming from the pelvic floor muscles. And when we talk about pelvic floor in general, I think a lot of the time, you know, people suffer with pelvic pain or any other sort of pelvic condition for a long time before they seek treatment. And I find that happens even more so in males. Um, But there's definitely something that us as pelvic physios can do to help with the pelvic pain that you may be experiencing. 
I think a lot of males, um, first of all, don't realize that they even have a pelvic floor. So I know in many discussions that I have, I, and again, as I mentioned in the in our introduction, I really feel like, um, you know, the information available is very much around the, the female pelvic floor. And I feel like, um, you know, there, it's a place that needs so much more education and, and just getting it out there. And I think men in general aren't super comfortable talking about, um, you know, their pelvis. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. A lot of men like to talk about their pelvis. But, um, you know, if it has to do with pain and those types of things, then they tend to kind of shy away from that conversation. It is a pretty vulnerable thing to just kind of come out and say that there's there's an issue to begin with. And I think especially in the male population, that is um, very difficult to say that they are vulnerable in terms of, you know, not being able to have an erection or they have pain with orgasm. So I, I think it's uh, definitely taboo and needs to be discussed uh, way more often. I think the other thing too that I see commonly with males is that they they don't really understand, like you said, Carrie, that they maybe have a pelvic floor or where that pain is coming from. And I think sometimes pelvic pain can be so substantial that you think something must be seriously wrong. Like I I have a client right now who's been to the emergency room because he thought it was a testicular torsion and they did an ultrasound and it's fine. And it's trying to get them to understand, like, actually that's muscle referral there's nothing else causing that pain, but the pain is like, you know, eight, nine, 10 out of 10. And I think sometimes people just have a hard time understanding that that's only a muscle, you know, quote unquote. I think it's important for people who are experiencing um, pelvic pain to definitely still seek and kind of follow, follow down that medical pathway to make sure that there is nothing more kind of sinister going on that could be causing those symptoms. But a lot of the time, for example, with what you had touched on before, Laura, with chronic prostatitis is that, you know, yes, there can be like bacterial prostatitis where there is an underlying infection, um, but there are also conditions where muscle tightness can be causing all of your symptoms. Yeah, girls, so let's talk about chronic prostatitis. So sometimes um, men can experience, and it may it may start out, Melissa, like you said, as a bacterial infection, or it may be a component of that where the prostate has an infection, and you would need to see a doctor for that and be treated with antibiotics. And I think sometimes commonly what we see is as soon as someone, a male, has been given the diagnosis of prostatitis, when their pain resurges, because it often does, that's the diagnosis that gets slapped on again. Oh, it's just an infection in your prostate. Take these antibiotics. And I've had a few clients where there gets to a point where the antibiotics stop working and the pain persists. So it may have been an infection the first time or even when it recurs the second or third time, but then there could be an element of the pelvic floor contributing to that pain that needs to be addressed by a pelvic floor physio. Um, I, I actually don't treat males just dis- as a disclaimer, but um, I have a question for you, Laura. Do you, so with chronic prostatitis, what are the usual symptoms that males would have? So a lot, I think a lot of times the common one that they say is they, they feel like they're sitting on a walnut or a golf ball. That's super, super common. And also a lot of like rectal and perineal pain. 
Sometimes it refers into their testicular region or their groin, but I would say that's less common and it tends to be a little bit more like below the scrotum towards the rectum and the pain is, is pretty intense and they have a hard time sitting. The other thing with chronic prostatitis is that pain it can usually be changed with activity, right? Because if we're really looking at muscles as the cause of the pain, if we're doing, doing certain activities that can cause increased muscle tension in that area, it can change our pain, right? So if your pain is changing on an activity basis or a positional basis, um, there's a likelihood that the muscles are involved. I find too that antibiotics, as you mentioned, Laura, are often overprescribed mm-hmm. for these conditions. So um, absolutely, when there is an infection, it needs to be treated appropriately. But I think that um, it, what I would like to see is that healthcare providers are saying, okay, we've done the antibiotics coming back. So let's go to that next step and then refer out to, to a pelvic physiotherapist. Yeah, I think building off that, Carrie, the other thing I would like to see is just generally, you know, from from care providers who may be, you know, seeing patients in a medical capacity, just more understanding for what the implications are for pelvic pain for especially for males. Like I find a lot of times when they think it's the prostate, they'll do a rectal exam. And if you have a lot of tension in your pelvic floor, that can actually be really really painful and off-putting. So then they male might come to physio and they feel super uncomfortable having an exam or they've had a really bad experience. So just also understanding that it's important to check the prostate absolutely to make sure that there's nothing going on, but maybe doing it at a pace where if your patient's in 10 out of 10 pain, go slowly and make them feel comfortable. So it's not a bad experience. Yeah. And I think just to clarify that, so being as we're pelvic physiotherapists and we've talked about these internal exams, um, you know, when we are treating a female client who has a vagina and a rectum, those are two avenues that we may uh, treat with our male clients. Um, Again, if they, we would typically go with a rectal exam, if they only have a rectum, um, that would be our avenue into um, examining those pelvic floor muscles. And I think, I mean, it's a perfect time to talk about, um, you know, that is not comfortable for anyone. Let's just lay it out there. As, as we've mentioned in podcast past, no one comes into the office and thinks this is like the best day of my life. I get to have an internal exam. But I think for a male client, you have, we have to realize that it is that next level um, because females are used to the vaginal opening um, you know, having things inserted into it. So they might use tampons, they might use a menstrual cup, they have, may have penetrative intercourse with a partner with a penis, you know, these tap. things are, they might have pap tests. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. With those lovely speculums, um, they, you know, these PS, our exams are nothing like that. So just, just PS. Um, but a male, it, you know, if they are um, with a heterosexual partner, they may not have or be used to things being inserted into the rectum. So that in itself, um, you know, carries a bit of a heavy burden. So again, you know, I'm just going to live through this because the alternative is I have to go have something done rectally and I'm just not comfortable with that. So I think, you know, when you said about uh, healthcare practitioners moving slowly and recognizing it, that's what we do that, you know, and again, when we talked about the initial assessment with any client, we don't just jump in. So it's, you know, it's a process 
of that education and, and really, you know, and I spend a lot of time educating my male clients. Um, I would say on average, you know, I'm, I'm less likely to do an internal exam that first visit with a male client. And I, and I'm not saying, you know, that's a blanket term, but I just find that I spend a lot more time explaining these things to, to my male patients. Um, and if a patient, if a male patient is uncomfortable with um, going through with an internal, especially on that first visit, are there things that you guys would do externally? Cause like, I know with female clients, like we would do things externally first and I'm sure it's the same with, with males. And maybe can you guys give a few examples of some of the things you would do? Yeah. I just really quickly want to jump in and say, um, before we move on to this topic, what Carrie was saying, I think typically too, with people who have pelvic pain, male or female, you don't always have to do an internal assessment. I don't always, when the pain is that substantial, um, because it's the cost to the person in terms of discomfort kind of outweighs the benefit. And I think Nadia, to answer your question, um, some of the, like for me, you can still, look at the outside of the pelvis and still get an idea of even like what the first layer of pelvic, cause we have multiple layers of the pelvic floor and some of the layers, you can get an idea of what's happening from the outside in that first layer. And you can bet if that first layer is tight, the deeper layers of the pelvic floor are probably tight. And that gives you a lot of valuable information. I think we also look at things like breathing and how the breathing influences the pelvic floor or even going you know, out towards your hips because your hip range of motion can influence your pelvic floor as well. So there's tons of things that we can do externally if one, you're either not comfortable with an internal exam um, at the moment or two, if internal exams, you've had a history of having those be really, really painful. I feel it's really important too when, um, you know, when, like you said, when we're looking at that pelvic pain, um, really kind listening to our patients. And we've talked about this before, but um, I find typically that my male patients have a little bit more difficulty expressing that pain that they're feeling. And, and again, it comes from that comfort level of being able to even use the locations of, of what they're feeling. And, you know, looking at you saying like, I feel scrotal pain, I feel testicular pain, I feel shards of glass at the tip of my penis. Um, these things are very you know, they're, they're difficult to express. So I find I'm often, you know, I, I, I'm a bit of a digger for information and I'm just trying to, you know, gracefully pull out that information so that I know where I'm headed with, with my treatment plan. The other thing too, that I've sometimes found, and we touched on this slightly at the beginning about the vulnerability. It's like, I've, I had a male client say to me once, I tell you things that I haven't even told my wife because it's, it can be a very personal struggle. And I think particularly for men, there's that, you know, kind of perception of, you know, don't complain, just carry on, like kind of suck it up sort of attitude. And so taking, really taking the time, I think, especially with male clients to go through that subjective history and give them the time to, you know, kind of peel back some of those layers and tell you things that they might have never told anyone in their whole life. I think on that, Laura, just, I mean, males are often culturally conditioned to be providers, protectors, producers, you know, they're, they, they're vulnerable and, and as vulnerable as anyone, but they become 
you know, more vulnerable in a situation because it's, it's almost a a threat to their manhood, which Mm -hmm. we perceive as weakness, right? So that in addition to the physical changes that they're having in their body, there's this huge emotional impact because they are, they don't feel like they should feel like this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Touching on that kind of threat to their manhood, um, one of the biggest things that I see males for is erectile dysfunction. And erectile dysfunction can actually be associated to pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, And so just kind of getting past that, you know, stigma of, you know, I'm, I'm a male and I should be able to perform in a certain way so that we can kind of get down to what's exactly going on and we can try to help and change things moving forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of funny because when we talked about incontinence, we talked about the advertisement around, you know, pads and things like that. And I feel the same way about the Viagra commercials for men because they just make it seem like, oh, you just take this pill and it totally fixes it and it's fine. But I think for a lot of, you know, clients that we see with erectile dysfunction, they've probably guaranteed been prescribed Viagra or Cialis or or whatever. And sometimes it doesn't work because it is coming from a component of the pelvic floor and that needs to be, you know, addressed. And I think that information just isn't out there that much for males to discuss and be aware of. Um, And I just wanted to make a note. I I know that with erectile dysfunction, males are usually like the depression rate in in these males is pretty high just because they have that feeling of not being able to perform quote unquote, or just um, being able to be like manly per se. So um, I do, I do know that. (laughs) I think the other thing too, which I actually learned from Carrie, and this is the benefit of having a pelvic team is that sometimes you have a client in your office and you're like, I don't know, (laughs) running into someone else's office. Um, But there's also a big, which makes sense, right? A bit, a big component of cardiac function in -hmm. terms of, of pelvic floors. And I think Carrie, you had said at that time when I, I had a client who I was kind of hitting a bit of a wall with in terms of, you know, we'd addressed the pelvic floor component and it was getting there, but not quite where we wanted it to be. And um, just taking a step back and looking at that whole system. And again, I think sometimes for men that just doesn't happen as often. So kind of that cardiovascular component was really kind of the next place that we had to go for erectile dysfunction for that client. I always go back to the quote that hard health is heart health. So it's really important when your hard health or your erectile dysfunction um, is, is occurring that we really take a look at that cardiovascular, at that cardiovascular uh, system. And a lot of times erectile dysfunction can indicate the onset of a cardiovascular event. And I don't think a lot of people realize that Um, anytime I have someone who um, expresses that they've had a change in their erectile function, I will always refer back to their family doctor and say that they um, they have to meet with a healthcare provider to to discuss their heart and or their cardiovascular function. Um, Just as an interesting timeline, research shows that there's 38.8 months between the onset of erectile dysfunction and a cardiovascular event. So I'm not saying that every erectile dysfunction situation involves a cardiovascular system, but I don't know if um, maybe just to clarify, there is a significant amount of blood flow related in an erection. 
and an erection comes from a, a surge of blood flow. And if you think about it, if you are not getting that blood flow into the penis, then there potentially could be a problem with the heart, which controls your blood flow. So that's sort of, you know, just to bring them back together. But I will always send an ED patient um, if it's if it's an onset that's unusual. And especially if there's some other things going on. I'm fatigued. Um, I feel like I, you know, my workouts aren't great anymore. It's not feeling comfortable, you know, those kinds of things. Then I really do. Um, I really do encourage a cardiovascular follow up. Sure. Okay. So just going back to that cardiovascular system playing a role in erectile dysfunction, if you're seeing someone for erectile dysfunction, is there anything from a physio perspective that you do to focus on the cardiovascular system? Or is it just that referral back to their primary healthcare provider? Well, I think, I think as far as, um, you know, direct, I would still send back to a primary care provider because I do feel like there's things that we, you know, that need to be investigated, but a large part of my male program, um, when I'm treating males specific to, um, you know, erectile dysfunction, um, you know, really anything in those areas, I feel like cardiovascular fitness is such a big part of that. So I always incorporate a cardiovascular aspect to my recommendations for fitness. So, you know, I might say, okay, we're going to do, um, you know, a 15 minute walk and start there or something that is, you know, actually going to get their heart rate up a little bit. Now, again, that's after we've cleared anything that might be of concern, but every, every male that I see, um, you know, with, with, um, an erect ED, for example, I include a cardiovascular program. Awesome. The other thing that we sometimes see a lot is, um, pain with orgasm. Does anyone want to go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So when you have an orgasm, your certain pelvic floor muscles will actually contract. And so that contraction of those muscles, one, for example, if those muscles are already tight, sometimes when those muscles contract, they, it can be quite painful, right? If you think about um, like when you get a, a calf cramp or sometimes we call it like a Charlie horse, right? Um, you can imagine how painful that is. And so that can also occur in the pelvic floor muscles. Um, and then sometimes you can even have difficulty with orgasm because those muscles are shortened, that they have a harder time contracting. I think the other thing too, which I, I don't know if you guys find this, but I feel like people are always surprised to learn that it's your pelvic floor muscles that contract during an orgasm. But the other thing too, is that if they're not strong, so if those muscles are weak, then that can also influence the orgasm itself and could potentially lead to pain. I think the other thing, just along with orgasm, something that I will often ask is the volume of the ejaculate. So if a, a male notices that he has a low ejaculation volume, um, that can also be a result of a pelvic floor dysfunction. So, um, you know, again, muscles that perhaps are not relaxing, um, you know, it, and it, it can be a number of different things. And obviously things are investigated from that respect. But that's another one of the things I ask is, you know, what is your ejaculate volume? Um, what is your, um, you know, what is the, the 
uh, is there pain, pain associated at ejaculation? Is it just after ejaculation? Is it persisting? So is it, is it staying? Does it resolve right away? All of those questions. Um, and one of the big things too, when I'm, when I'm seeing just to go back to erectile dysfunction, sorry to go back, but I just think that this is really important is really watching for, um, um, with ED, if they are ha- waking up with an erection, because most males will wake with an erection. So if they're not, then we want to make sure that, um, you know, we, we ask about that information as well. Sorry, tangent switch there, but I just want to make sure that I, that I threw that out there for ED. So, okay. One of the other things that I just wanted to talk about is a syndrome that often doesn't get talked about. And this is called hard flaccid syndrome. And so basically, um, this pain may come about with an erection. Um, It's typically found in the pubic area between the scrotum and the rectum. Um, It can be pain or numbness in the penis. They can feel warmth in the penis. They can feel cold. So those sensory changes, and they're always in a semi-rigid state. So the the penis is not hard. It's not flaccid. It's kind of in that semi-rigid state and it can um, affect erections. It can affect libido, urination, ejaculation, all of those things. Um, And so the scrotum feels really constricted and tight to the body. Um, And the way that a lot of my clients describe it is like a vice-like sensation in the penis. Um, We typically see this in young males. So most times it's between the ages of about 18 to 35. Uh, and one of the big complaints I'll hear with these patients are that underwear is uncomfortable. So it feels restricted in that area. Um, and so this, I've seen a few different males come into my office with this. Some of the different causes for this can be um, trauma, which obviously can have a large impact on pelvic floor. Um, It can happen during sexual intercourse. Um, It can happen as a result of hard masturbation. Um, It can be thyroid, pituitary, adrenal imbalance. Um, It can be from drug use, uh, um, hyperarousal for for sexual satisfaction. So this syndrome, what's really important is it's it's diagnosed based on signs and symptoms. So there's no lab tests or imaging that they can do to diagnose hard flaccid. It really just comes down to symptoms. So I like to put this out there because a lot of times males will come in with these different symptoms and, um, you know, will have been told any number of things and it actually is a syndrome. I think that's a really important point to talk about. And I think just kind of summarizing the aspect of male pelvic pain in general and, you know, kind of going off of what you said, Carrie, that the cause of male pelvic pain could be a multitude of things. And I think sometimes males just, there might not be like once you've ruled out some of those more serious medical conditions, there isn't necessarily a lab test or an x-ray or an ultrasound that's going to dictate where your pain is coming from. And so just because you've had some of those tests and they're coming back as quote unquote normal, doesn't mean that the experience isn't real or doesn't exist. Your pain is still very much real and you can probably get help with pelvic physio. So one of the other areas that I think is really important for us to discuss with respect to male pelvic health is prostate cancer. And I know that I see a number of patients um, who have, um, who are dealing with prostate cancer and, um, you know, 
I find that this is actually a, a, a group of males that I like to, to, I really like to work with because I feel like when they come to me and they've had a diagnosis of cancer, um, there's so many emotional things involved as well. Um, and so they've, they've been told that they have this cancer and then they, you know, they're sitting with their, their healthcare provider and, and they're given this news and then they just shut off and they hear nothing else that their healthcare provider says to them. And I feel like there's so many things that these men, these males need to know, and they just don't get that information. So when they come out post surgery, if that's, if that's the route that they take, they're met with all these things that they just didn't know about. And so I think it's, um, you know, this gives me the opportunity again to go back or gives us the opportunity to go back and be those educators again, um, which is, I think is so incredibly important. Yeah, I feel like we kind of go back to this in every episode, this topic about education, but I feel like that that truly is one of the most valuable things about pelvic physio and just having that time to sit down with someone who can be a care provider and give you some information about what to expect. And, you know, even if you're for prostate cancer, if you're having, you know, radiation or brachytherapy or surgery, and I'm sure we'll touch on those things in a second, um, just to help you understand the process and what you might expect symptom wise, even if you come before your treatment starts to kind of get you started on that road. I, I am a huge fan of prehab in the world of prostate cancer because um, I find that the clients that I see prior, so I love to see a patient once they have received their diagnosis. And I feel like it gives us that kickstart and, and hands down recovery is going to be better if we've done that prehab again. So just like anything else, but here I really feel like it's so incredibly important um, to address the possible outcomes of their intervention. And what can we start doing now to make those outcomes better afterwards? Mm -hmm. And just to touch on a few things that are um, probable side effects after you have that diagnosis of prostate cancer. One of the big ones is um, urinary incontinence. Um, and so actually 80 to 90% of men after prostate cancer surgery will have urinary incontinence. Um, and it's kind of one of the main things that we focus on during treatment. Absolutely. Treat being, being prepared for that. That's another, it goes back to that. Something that a lot of men do not hear their doctors say. And it is, again, if we go back to, um, you know, manhood and, and really it is, a, it is, it's difficult for a woman or a female to have incontinence, but it is far more accepted. And so when a male is going, you know, has to deal with incontinence, it's, it's much more difficult. And, and I'm not saying that always, you know, there are many, many females who it is a very difficult thing. I'm not trying to, to decrease the, the importance in, uh, in any gender, but I just find with males, um, the urinary incontinence is a very tough one. And if we can do something pre-surgery, pre-surgery, um, that will help alleviate and, and, I mean, you said 80 to 90% Melissa. in my experience, every male that has prostate surgery has mm -hmm. incontinence, um, some level or some form of incontinence. And, and the reason why the way I explain this to my patients is so the prostate is a walnut, walnut sized gland and, um, 
basically what this what this does it plays a function in urinary control it plays a function in uh, in sexual function fertility everything so this prostate i always refer to it as the plumber so it sits below the bladder and the prostate is the plumber and when we have a prostate surgery and the prostate is removed we have now removed the plumber and the plumber was the sphincter it was what was holding the bladder closed so it was what was responsible for keeping urine in once you take that away, well, what have we got left? We have, we now have the plumber's assistant and I refer to the plumber's assistant as the pelvic floor muscles. So if I can bring you in before surgery, before the plumber exits stage left, and I get the plumber's assistant working like apprenticing before, then when we come out of the surgery and the plumber is not there anymore, the assistant is ready to take over. So this is why, you know, it's kind of a, an easier sort of version of understanding why the pelvic floor and why pelvic floor physiotherapy is so important when we're talking about the prostate and prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And the, the plumber that you were talking about, that internal sphincter is something that functions automatically, right? So we don't have to think about it. But when we get rid of that, we're relying on our pelvic floor muscles, which we can actually control. And so sometimes it's just about changing that thought process of, okay, I have to activate these muscles in order to have urinary control, which is something that I never thought about beforehand. The other thing I think that's important with prostate cancer, and, and we've talked about it a little bit in the context of surgery, but some men choose not to have surgery and decide to have radiation or brachytherapy, and you can still get incontinence after that as well, because radiation can be um, very hard on the tissues in the prostate region. And the other thing that I think is common with some men is urinary frequency, which means going to the bathroom all the time. So even if you're not leaking, but you feel like you have to go to the bathroom every 30 minutes, there's something that you can do about that. And just to touch on that as well, Laura, if they decide to go the route of, of radiation, the bowel is often affected because of its close proximity. So you'll have um, fecal incontinence, um, you know, different things happening um, with the bowel because the bowel tissue has also been damaged by the radiation. So um, again, another area that uh, the pelvic floor muscles can work with in order to um, help eliminate another, you know, post-surgical symptom. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things, I mean, we've talked about this already this evening, but another common um, outcome post-surgical intervention for prostate cancer is the erectile dysfunction. So again, we're talking, you know, 68 to 98% of males will experience erectile dysfunction. Um, again, you know, something that they often are not prepared for going into the surgery. So we've talked about ED tonight, you know how pelvic physio can help that. Um, so, you know, just another thing that is, is really important that we can take, get a jump on before that surgery. The other thing too, that I think is worth mentioning in regards to treatment of prostate cancer. And I only know because I had a, a family member who went through this, but they were actually prescribed estrogen medication to try to suppress the growth of the tumor, um, because they had to wait to receive treatment because of COVID. And so I think Melissa touched on this when we talked about menopause a little bit, but physiotherapy can be really helpful in 
terms of educating about hormonal changes. And I think for men being put on estrogen, if that's a treatment route that's chosen, um, can be really overwhelming because it's not something that they've experienced before. And so just going back to that education piece, getting an assessment with a pelvic physio to help you navigate some of the symptoms you might experience as a byproduct can be another aspect in regards to prostate cancer, where you may benefit from a, a consultation with a pelvic physio. And there's so many different things um, that, you know, when we talk about the, the urinary incontinence, the erectile dysfunction, you know, bowel function. Another one of the things that men may experience is an actual change in the length or the curvature of their penis because of the scar tissue. So this is actually called Peyronie's disease. Um, and it, after a radical prostatectomy, so after they've gone in and actually removed the prostate, um, 16% of men after radiation uh, will develop Peyronie's. So this is this is a you know another thing, and again, this comes from that um, maybe not prepared or maybe been told but not realized what actually can happen. So I do a lot of education with my males about you know what what can potentially happen, and then with Peyronie's disease, there's several different ways to treat this. So we can use vacuum pumps, um, you know, different pelvic floor exercises that can actually help combat the the negative. Implications of a, of a post-surgical situation. Lots of different avenues for prostate cancer that you might need to see a pelvic physio for. Yeah, for sure. And I also think, um, just as far as as someone who who does work with a number of males who are are pre and post prostatectomy, and just to reiterate again, because I really feel like this is important, is see a pelvic physio before. So go to see someone who will give you this education and start you on the path before, because the outcome can be really fabulous if you're trained prior to going. And, and for me, when I see a, a patient, I will start with a patient as soon as their catheter is removed after surgery. So it's also a quick, um, you know, rehab situation. It starts quickly. We like to see them right away so that we can get started on the, on the, on the rehab process. Mm-hmm. I feel like the two takeaways from this podcast, if you've listened to any of the episodes are prehab and education. <laughs> yes. are the things, our two, our two favorite, favorite words. words. We always come back to them, but they are so important. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think too. Like you said, not like it's it, it. You don't know it, and you're in the you're in the field, right? And it's and some of it's been new to you tonight. So think about people who've never, you know, ever even heard of some of these things. I think it's just so important for us to to get the information out. I'll always go back to that again. The the reason behind the birth of the podcast is let's just share everything that we know and and go from there. Um, one of the things that I think, so we talked a little bit about, you know, we're, we're going to improve continence um, and, and, and we're going to do things like help improve sexual function. And we are going to improve their fitness level. And we talked a little bit about cardiovascular health and working to improve that and improving fatigue levels and, and, you know, those base, basic things. But I think the biggest thing that I love to see come out of our uh, pelvic floor physiotherapy is the improvement in self-esteem and the improvement in mood and the improvement in quality of life really just, um, you know, there's nothing better than knowing that we have improved someone's quality of life. I think that goes for any age, any gender, 
in terms of pelvic physio, but especially like we've talked about a few times with males who have potentially a bigger barrier to seeking treatment in regards to pelvic symptoms. So hopefully anyone who's listening, if you happen to know a male or you are a male and you are experiencing any um, signs or symptoms that we've discussed tonight, absolutely reach out to a pelvic floor physiotherapist because um, they can help for sure. So tonight I have the tail from the floor um, and on, on uh, male pelvic physio. As I mentioned, this is a place where I have a passion. So um, tonight I'm going to introduce you to a 57-year-old male patient that I treated um, and I have obtained his consent to discuss his case this evening. Um, so he is a uh, 57-year-old male. He came to me because he was experiencing uh, urinary frequency and urgency um, initially. And we worked on some of those things and then he was discharged. Um, a while later, these symptoms started to resurface and he was also starting to um, notice that his ejaculate volume had decreased and he was generally not feeling well. So just a general feeling of ill health. Um, so his family doctor referred him to a urologist and following a thorough investigation, this gentleman was diagnosed with stage two prostate cancer. So um, what ended up happening is that, um, so I should just, just to clarify, stage two prostate cancer um, refers to cancer within the prostate. So this, meant, this means that the uh, cancer has not moved to surrounding tissue, but at stage two, there is a chance that it can. So um, there's an increased risk of, of growth and spreading. So based on his consults and investigations, it was determined that he was going to have a radical prostatectomy. So a radical prostatectomy is where they go in, as we've spoken about this evening, and they remove the prostate. Um, so this patient was sent to me six weeks prior to surgery and I celebrate this because those are when I like to see my patients and that doesn't always happen. Prehab. I was so happy when he, um, when he came in and he said, I'm going to have my surgery in six weeks. And I was like, floored. I'm like, Oh my God, this is awesome. We got time, you know, let's, let's go with this. So, um, he, he admitted to me that in his visit with his doctor, he heard the word cancer and that was it. And he completely shut off. And I mean, he, he was spinning. He, he knew that his life was about to change. And so he told me that he was actually in the office with the surgeon for 25 minutes. And he can recall about five minutes of that conversation. So he was unaware that there was a possibility of incontinence. He was unaware that there was a possibility that his sexual function would be affected. Um, he was unaware that there was a potential that his penis would change shape or Peyronie's disease. These were all of the things that I incorporated into our education. So I did a ton of education with him. I shared diagrams, I shared models, I shared photos. I really wanted him to be aware of what could happen. And most importantly, I wanted to give him the opportunity to ask me questions because I felt like he hadn't had that opportunity from anybody. And he was awesome. He, had, he came into the next visit with a full page of questions and we talked through, you know, and answered all, I was able to answer all of his questions. And so with that six weeks prior to the surgery, um, 
we were able to begin training his pelvic floor muscles. And so right away, I explained the plumber, plumber's assistant to him. And we started working on his pelvic floor muscles. We started working on a cardiovascular program. He already was, had a, a certain level of fitness, but um, you know, not a ton. It was an occasional kind of thing. So I really encouraged him to embrace his overall health. And he was really excited to work on his diet. And, you know, we talked about hydration and all of the basic things that, that are really important for pelvic health, but are really important for health as well. Um, he, so we, we worked on that for six weeks and I saw him once a week. So I saw, I had six visits with him before he went in for his surgery and he was able to resume physio back with me as soon as his catheter was removed. So he came back, he had had a great surgical, um, uh, story to tell. Everything went very well. The cancer had not spread to any other tissue. Surgeon was very confident that, um, this, the cancer had been removed and he was ready to, um, embark on his, his, uh, the next phase of his life. Um, he was so optimistic when he came into my office. And I feel like that was the confidence that had been created by us working together prior to him having surgery. And he was super confident with his exercises. So, um, he did have, um, incontinence when he arrived, he was using two depends diapers a day, um, at that point, but, he had already embarked on his behavioral modifications that we had talked about before the surgery. So he was watching for bladder irritants. Um, he was a beer drinker prior to surgery. He had stopped drinking beer. He found that that um, exacerbated his incontinence, which it would because it is a bladder irritant. Um, he was working on getting in the proper amount of fluid each day. We had started him on a potty schedule. So knowing um, that, you know, when to head to the bathroom, still trying to train that bladder, even though the bladder was leaking. Um, we talked a lot about bowel health. And, um, and we again embarked on um, reintroducing that pelvic floor uh, program and then going next level on that um, pelvic floor program. He also uh, resumed his cardiovascular program quite quite quickly after the surgery. He felt really great. Um, he started a course of Viagra that was prescribed by his doctor. He did have ED and he um, to this day is continuing with the use of the Viagra. Um, again, my focus was on that education. Uh, we did daily pelvic floor strengthening exercises. So I had set him up on a program with a certain amount of reps and um, number of times each day to perform those exercises. By the um, end of our sessions, he had become fully continent. So he was using no product whatsoever. His sexual function was being supported by the Viagra. He was energetic. He was, his self-esteem self was fabulous. He felt very empowered and um, he reported that his quality of life may have actually been better post-surgery than it actually was ever before the cancer diagnosis. So that was a, a great end to the story. I, um, we developed his home exercise program. I discharged him with a great big hug um, because that was before COVID. And, um, and I actually heard from him recently with, from, uh, via email, just telling me that everything was going great. So great end to the story. Yeah, so yeah, those are the best kind of stories, right? And, and um, it, it makes us feel great too, right? No, to know, I know I feel, I feel great every time I, I'm able to help somebody. So it's a, it's a pretty rewarding career we got here, gals.
Yeah. So, so that is the end of tonight's podcast. Um, again, I hope that everyone got some great information out of this. We know you did, Nadia. So I'm even, I'm even happy that you did. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, just to uh, let everyone know, as always, if you ever have any questions or you um, want more information, you can reach out to us. Um, our contact information will be available in the show notes. And um, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. And whatever it is that you're doing while you are listening to us, maybe you're walking, you're out for a run, you're sitting at your desk, eating your lunch, whatever it is you're doing. We hope that you enjoyed our podcast and we will look forward to um, having you hear us at our next episode. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much for tuning into the Tales from the Floor podcast. And we hope that our tales have inspired you in some way. Please remember that the information provided in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. We recommend that you invite a pelvic physiotherapist into your personal healthcare team. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. Let's see how many people can find their voice to tell their tale. Leave a rating on iTunes and don't forget to follow us at A Body in Motion Rehab. Thanks for listening and for doing your part to help us stop the whispering.